Geekville Radio. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. We've got a pretty jam-packed show for you here. We're going to talk the controversy between Sony and Disney and Marvel over Spider-Man, kind of straighten out what we know and what might be wrong that's out there. We'll talk D23, some Star Wars and Marvel, and maybe a few other knickknacks here when we close up. Unfortunately, I don't have to do it alone. Coming at you from a nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a while since I've been on the podcast. Uh, it's going to get worse for those regular listeners. They know college football is a love of mine, and football, college football is now completely, you know, it's the opening weekend as we record this. Um, I, Seth tried to get me to record earlier this weekend, and I had to inform him not being a college football fan, that there's a game every night from Thursday till Monday. And he was kind of like, uh, can we do Sunday afternoon possibly? I said, I think we can work something out. So anyway, we're, we're here. <laughs> and I've had friends tell me that uh, being in the Chicago area, I can be spoiled when it comes to teams because, of course, we got a major league team in just about every form of sport. So if you're in an area where there's no major league College ball kind of becomes the thing that you watch in absence of that. Yeah, well, and we have pro teams here now, but they're not, they don't have the history of the Bears. You know, I mean, right. the Falcons have been around since the 60s, the Panthers since the 90s. Just, you know, so, I mean, closest y'all have in Chicago, Lambie, what, uh, Northwestern probably? Probably. And, and it depends on the, the sport as well, because I know, uh, yeah, you know, DePaul, they, they play in Chicago, and, uh, but, yeah, well, and of course, South Bend's not that far. So, I mean, I know, I know there's a lot of Notre Dame fans in the Chicagoland area. So, yes, Notre Dame plays tomorrow on Monday against Louisville and Northwestern. Sadly, lost yesterday on Saturday to Stanford. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's get down to business here. The news that is still, I don't know, front page news is truly the way to describe it. But a lot of people are still talking about it be- simply because of who the characters involve and that is the ongoing drama between Sony and Disney and Marvel over Spider-Man. Now, really before superhero movies were a big thing, you know, we all remember those times in the 80s and the 90s when comic book movies were were terrible, but Marvel had actually wanted to do a Spider-Man movie for a long time going all the way back to I think the 80s. If I recall correctly, Canon was originally the company that got the rights to do it. And then just long story short, through other buyouts and legal proceedings and stuff like that, it wound up getting in the hands of of Sony. And this was a time when Marvel financially was not doing very well. And that's why they sold movie rights to these companies like like X-Men and Spider-Man to Fox and Sony respectively, because they just needed the money. And then they started Marvel Studios, and that's, I think, about the time they filed for the Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And that's why I think Marvel movies have become so good is because you actually have a studio owned by the people that make the comics, so they don't have to worry about compromising with as many studio execs. Do you think I got that right as far as that history lesson? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if we'll go back. Canon was this, that was the same studio that did all the Chuck Norris movies in the 80s, right? Like yeah. the Octagon. And that was their big thing was like, like, like karate movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. They did, they did a lot of 80s movies. I think they might have done Robocop or maybe that was Orion, but, you know, a lot of those companies, Canon, Orion, and such, uh, the movie. TriStar. Yes. The movie studios that got really, really big just wound up gobbling them up. Sure. Sure. And I think, you know, um, people have to go back in the history of comic book movies outside of the the well, the you know, the ones that were that were blockbusters. You know, the Keaton Nicholson eighty nine Batman, the, the 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 Christopher Reeve Superman. Um, there weren't a whole lot, and uh, people tend to forget that the first Marvel movie that was Marvel Studios was actually the Blade movies, and. Mm-hmm. I'll never quit seeing the praises of the Blade movies, but they didn't have a lot of control in that because of what you're talking about. You know, it right. wasn't a fully formed studio, and it and it still wasn't. I mean, people forget the first Iron Man, which is essentially the movie that launched the MCU, was not distributed by Marvel. They hadn't been bought by Disney yet. Yes, they made the movie, but I believe Paramount distributed that one, didn't they? That's true. Yeah. So I mean, even the beginning of the MCU wasn't what it is now 10 years later you know where they control everything distribution creation development all that stuff so it when it happened it happened and it happened rapidly you know so um i think it's a good thing to always have the people in charge because Mm -hmm. you know um they have a love and an understanding of the source material and we've talked at length on many episodes how marvel studios and kevin feige specifically have been able to create a product that is true enough to the source material. It doesn't upset the hardcores like you and me and our listeners, but also at the same time, easy to digest for the casual fan and still be kind of caught up and not right. be behind on. Cause we all know these Marvel characters, you know, they go, some of them go back to the sixties. That's a long, very convoluted backstory with literally hundreds of writers contributing to different takes on characters and even longer for some of the DC characters. So it, it there is always going to be that chance for things to be very convoluted for the casuals. And we, you know, we have both applauded Marvel and their ability to avoid that. Um, which I think Spider-Man is definitely one of those characters where they've been able to streamline uh, things so that it works uh, to the point where when it f- when he finally got into the MCU proper and they they cut the original deal they did with Sony Homecoming was you know it was an homage to Spider-Man coming back to Marvel but it was a it didn't even have an origin story when's the last time you can think of a standalone major comic book character movie that did that wasn't an origin story right right and i think to be fair a lot of people already knew the origin story because they already sure. did it on, on screen twice, you know, with, with their, for their, with their first right. reboot. And I think that's where Marvel's going. Okay. We don't need to explain this. One of the biggest complaints you have about any movie that involves Batman has been what, how many times do we have to see Thomas and Martha die? Right. We're right. tired of seeing that. And it's like, I think, I think the Marvel people heard that and said, okay, everybody knows how Spider-Man became Spider-Man. Let's just make a Spider-Man movie. We don't need the origin. And that, to me, is an example of just one, but one of many, but probably one of the most important. That's why Marvel is is so good when they get their characters and make the movies. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So let's talk about this deal. 
this started with the first actually it started with civil war but the first spider-man movie was homecoming and the gist of it is sony would still produce and put the money forward for spider-man movies so homecoming and far from home were fronted by sony and in exchange marvel and kevin feige you know obviously kevin feige's name was on them they got to help choose the director and writers and such and then Marvel and Disney would get 5% of the gross from the Sony movies whereas the crossover movies you know the Avengers movies and Civil War and stuff like that Marvel and Disney produced those and Sony did not make money off of them that's right. how the deal was before and that deal had expired. I, I'm assuming that must have made it like a five-picture deal then, because I think you got two Avengers movies, Civil War, and two Spider-Man movies. That had expired, and the word is that Sony was happy with that deal. They could have gone on the way they were doing it, and Sony would have been ha happy with that. It was Disney that was asking for the bigger cut, but Disney was also proposing a 50-50 when it comes to budgeting and profit. So essentially, Disney and Sony would split equally the costs and the revenue out of that. So while it is Sony taking a pay cut from the gross, it also would mean that they would be investing less in the money. So whether that's the better deal or not, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm not a corporate executive or anything like that, but that was the deal, and that the fact that Sony didn't agree to that is why the deal fell through. So I don't know if you knew anything else about that, but that's that's my understanding of the situation. It was mine too, and I, I, I was kind of trying to look at it from a pragmatic point of view, you know. And it's like I kind of see both sides. I understand why Sony loves it. I mean, they're getting ninety five percent of the profit. We know the kind of money that they're making. Now, one thing they were losing out on you didn't bring up was Marvel still controlled all the merchandising, did they not? Correct, and as as well as uh, TV and such. So Marvel can make all the Spider-Man cartoons that they want, and right. Sony doesn't have to worry about that. It's only when it comes to feature film rights. Right, so I think that – that yeah, they were losing out on the merch, and I don't know if the merchandise if that changed at all with the new proposal that Disney threw on the table. But let's remove merchandise, okay? Yes, five percent of what of what these movies were making was huge. The two, which really the only ones that they were having to share that on was the two standalone Spider Mans. Disney was getting mm -hmm. all of it for the for the crossovers. I, I understand that uh, that they would be happy with that, but I also understand Disney's desire to um want half of it because i think for a couple of reasons one their business they want to make money and two if you have seen far from home and you've seen the avengers movies and uh, we've done reviews of all three and i'm assuming if you're listening to the show you have seen all three of those movies <laughs> you understand how important a peter parker character has become to the mcu as a whole right uh, in light of uh, and so and i think i think disney i don't know if they counted their chickens before they hatched but that was definitely the the creative direction they're going with the character, and they went ahead with it without really being sure if they could do it. And and hey, to Disney in Disney's defense, it wasn't like they were saying, "Hey, we want half the profit, but you still got to put up all the money for the movie." They were saying, "Hey, right. we'll take some of this burden off of you," you know, because no, all due respect to Sony, Sony is not worth what what Marvel is. What Disney is. Disney is a monster. And Sony's huge. Okay. 
I think, and I, I, I have to go back. There's been about a week since I looked at the numbers. I believe that that fall, that uh, homecoming in that calendar year that it came out made more money for Sony. This is after the five percent that went out to Disney made more money than all the other movies Sony did that year put together. So, eh, just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's possible because I know Far From Home became the highest grossing Sony movie ever. It previously was the last James Bond film. And so you can totally understand why Sony would want that. And as anybody who's been paying attention to the the Sony movies, Sony has tried to control Spider-Man before. You know, Sam Raimi did that trilogy and wanted to do a fourth, which I believe would have been Vulture. And Sony, for whatever reason, wanted to control things. The problems that they had creatively between Sony and uh, Sam Raimi, I mean, it's pretty well documented. Raimi did not oh, yeah. want to use Venom, and Sony wanted them to use Venom. So when that trilogy of movies were done, you know, Raimi walked, and my understanding is mainly Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst just walked away because they wanted to work with Raimi, Raimi. and not, not anybody else. Yeah, so... That's the gist of that. And then they did the two movies with Andrew Garfield, which, I mean, I don't think they were necessarily great films. I think the Raimi ones are better, but there was still a lot to like about them. And I think Andrew Garfield did a good job, but I think Sony was looking at how those numbers were doing and then seeing how the MCU was doing, and that's kind of where they got that deal. So this would be if Sony does go with their own way, so to speak. This would be now the third time that they're trying to do Spider-Man on, on their own, and this time they'd be doing it, once again, without input from Marvel Studios. So I think people can understand why people like me would be a little skeptical about doing this. Oh, totally. It, 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 my What I point out to people is, um, let's just look, and, and you know this, uh, a lot of our listeners, regular listeners know this, Spider-Man is very near and dear to my heart. Spider-Man is is the character and the title that got me into comic books. He is no longer my favorite character, but he's in my top five, you know, and he was the character that got me into comic books before Ghost Rider, before Batman, before any of the titles that I, I now love, Doctor Strange, Constantine. He was the one. So Peter Parker, Spider-Man will always have a, a, a very, very special place in the Crazy Train's heart. Look at the casting of that character. When Sony has had has had total control, they cast Tobey Maguire, who was dorky enough, but looked like a twenty-something-year-old guy trying to play a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old yeah. kid. Yeah, it was hard to buy him as a as a high schooler. And then the next one they cast was Andrew Garfield, who's a good-looking dude. Peter Parker's not ugly, but he's a dork. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a famous story in the '70s. I think it was. Right around the time Black Cat was on her way up, so to speak. She was still a relatively new character. And, of course, Black mm -hmm. Cat and Spider-Man have always had that on-again, off-again romance. And the way they could do this in a movie or a series with the right actors, and Holland would definitely be able to pull it off, although I think Holland's a decent-looking guy, too. But Peter revealed his identity to Black Cat because he loved her, so he takes off the mask. And Black Cat's like, put the mask back on. <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly but then when marvel gets involved we get tom holland who i who he's perfect he's mm -hmm. not ugly he's a good looking guy like i said peter parker's not ugly 
but he you believe and he's young enough that you believe him as a dorky high school kid right you know and it's it's it, and this is not a knock on toby mcguire this is not a knock on andrew garfield i think they're both fine actors you know it's just uh like i try to explain to people who are not comic book geeks why do you comic book geeks get so impassioned about this why do you get upset uh, because we've been reading the source material for anywhere from five to th- to forty five years, and in our minds and in our hearts, these characters act a certain way, look a certain way, and and have a certain personality. And when you cast against that, you're like, really, you know, it, it, it's something that's just near and dear to your heart, you know, and that's why. One of the only complaints I have of the Marvel take on Spider Man is. Not that I think that the young lady's a bad actress. I just don't like MJ. Mm-hmm. Not that not that she's ugly. MJ's supposed to be like like legitimately a supermodel level good looking and right. bubbly and 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 very much a smart ass. Yeah. But not like and this girl, the way they've written her in Marvel, has she's a bit of a Debbie Downer, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's very she's very plain the my one of my favorite scenes ever in comic books is when mj finally agrees to go out with peter parker and peter's downstairs at the bottom of the stairs waiting for her to come down and she's upstairs getting ready getting all pretty for him for this big date and he's speechless when she comes down the stairs and her line is just it to me encapsulates who mj is as a character which Mm -hmm. is face it tiger you just won the lottery that's Mark. That's Mary Jane. Okay. Right. <laughs> that you know, and and nothing about the Marvel version of of, of the character has that. She's kind of like not even into Peter, which you know, uh, that's another story for another time. So that's the only problem I really have with the Marvel take. Other than that, I don't even mind them turning Flash into a rich kid as opposed to the dumb bullying jock he normally is in the comics. I get no problems with that. That's my only minor beef is mm-hmm. not she's not over the top enough. You know, she's a little bit more of a typical teenager, and that's never the way MJ's ever been presented in the comic book. But still, that's the only one. Everything else fits. I mean, you know, I, yeah, okay, I'm not happy with Marissa Tomei either. I'm t- t- let me correct myself. I, I lied, folks. Aunt May should be 197 years old and have a thousand wrinkles. But you know, right. <laughs> it is what it. But but as far as Peter Parker, the main thing, Tom Holland fits the bill from the comic books, and mcguire and garfield didn't to me that's the perfect example of what you're going to get when sony has control of the character over marvel mm-hmm. what say ye on that yeah yeah I, I think you're right i remember seeing that when they did do the amazing spider-man and, and seeing andrew garfield it's like you know, he got the snark down and of course he he did the accent well but when you see stuff like trying to make it like Aunt May was somehow like this agent in her youth and stuff like that. And it's just like, okay, that might work for Alfred, but for Aunt May, you know, who's supposed to be really Sally Field is going to be your uh, amazing uh, secret agent that has a spy background. You know, that, that just makes no sense. Nothing against Sally Field. I just, I don't think I could buy her as, as a spy, you know? (laughs) So, the other thing that's worth mentioning in this is um, that there are a lot of characters in the Spider-Man world, so to speak, that are kind of fit under the franchise. And these are characters that Sony would have control for if they decide to walk away. And while there's still a lot of characters, and we'll go over those characters, a few of them at least, uh, in, in a moment, but the way Peter is presented now 
it would be very difficult to make another Spider-Man movie that has no mention of the Avengers or Tony Stark or Happy Hogan or anybody like that because they wouldn't have access to those characters anymore. So, yes, they could go their own way, but they would lose a lot of what helped make the Spider-Man movies so successful. And they, it's almost like they'd almost have to start over like uh, from scratch. Not necessarily have to recast, but they'd essentially have to expect you to ignore the last four or five MCU movies in order to enjoy a new right. one. Which I think is a, a dangerous thing. I mean, I think that one, first off, my understanding is Tom Holland is, he's tied into it contractually. So it doesn't matter yes. who is producing it, he's going to be Spider-Man. Uh, and, and if they wanted to recast it, they would probably have to pay him a big chunk of money, you know, for for voiding his contract. But I, I agree with you 110%. I think, it's, I think it's scary because you've got, one, it's going to hurt Sony for what, all the reasons you just stated, Seth. How do you tell a story when it's when, like you said, you said you're going to have to reboot it because everything is built upon this idea that he exists in the same world with all these other characters that they no longer have access to. So they ruin that. And then to go back to what I said earlier, where does Marvel go from here? Because it seems pretty apparent that that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are meant to be integral to the MCU from here on out. So both studios have to essentially reboot and rethink where they were going on long-term successful franchises. That's not very encouraging to us moviegoers, I don't think. Right, right, absolutely. Now, I'm going to link this in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 243. And this has a big chart that shows all the characters that are under... Marvel Studios banner under Universal, under Sony. So you can get a better look for what Marvel can and can't do with the characters. I think it is kind of funny uh, if you look at this chart. Obviously, we got all those Marvel ones. The Netflix characters have their own little bubble. Kingpin is like split between Sony and Netflix. And here in the Universal one, which is the Hulk characters, so Hulk, Abomination, characters like that. There's one that is still outside of the Marvel Studios banner, and that's Rick Jones. It's like, poor Rick Jones. He's like the only guy <laughs> Marvel cannot use at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right. I had heard uh, a couple of different sources saying that Sony actually controlled like 900 characters, and I'm like, what? That can't be right. But I would not be surprised if it was close to three to, to three digits, close to 100. Because when you think about the supporting characters and the rogues gallery that Spider-Man has that probably got sold with that original deal years ago. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we were talking off mic uh, where I think we're both in agreement that Spider-Man has the best rogues gallery of any Marvel character out there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Probably the biggest as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Even when you count some of the secondary or tertiary villains, I think that's probably where they're getting such a big number from, because you you would mean people like you know Lizard and Vulture and uh, right. uh, Electro and pe people like that Shocker, you know. But those are that's his that's his normal that's his regular Rogues Gallery to me, you know. Right, right. Scorpion, Venom, Carnage, yeah. Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, uh, Craven the Hunter. Um, God, 
I guess Madam Spider could be considered one of his rogues gallery. There's a lot. Gwen Stacy, which would mean Spider-Gwen, you know. Right, right. Uh, Rhino. There's a ton. Mm-hmm. Mysterio, who we've now already seen, of course. Um, his rose gallery is every bit as big and as diverse, I think, as Batman or Flash, who are the two best DC has. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. They're definitely in that same ballpark. So, yeah. So, yeah, 900 seems a little outrageous to me, but 75, 100, yeah, possibly, you know? Mm-hmm. Because that would also mean Miles Morales and they could still do the Sinister Six and stuff. So they got a lot to work right. with. But I think in the the eyes of a lot of fans, it loses something by not being connected to the MCU anymore. Right, right. Uh, why, why do you think that Sony is – obviously, we talked the money issue. What makes you think, based on past history, makes Sony think that they can be successful without Marvel helping them out? When you look at what they were able to do without Marvel and what they were able to do with the character with Marvel. I have my own opinions. I wanted to hear what yours were, Seth. I think, and to play devil's advocate, really, I I think it comes down to maybe they learned their lesson that maybe they studied. (laughs) Sorry. Well, yeah. And, you know, maybe they studied how the MCU was doing things and took notes. I don't seriously think that, but I think that might be what they are trying to uh, convince people of. I think they've convinced themselves. This is my opinion based on the somewhat success of Venom. Now here's the thing with Venom. All right. The standalone Venom film with Tom Hardy. It was not very critically uh, well received. It was middle of the road. It was so, so received by the fans, but it still made a lot of money. It Mm -hmm. made like $800 million. It made almost a billion dollars. I think you combine that with, I think everybody agrees into the spider verse, which was a purely Sony thing was a huge success, both right. critically and commercially. I think those two successes, at least monetarily speaking, in their eyes said, ah, we don't need Marvel. Why, do mm-hmm. we, why are we even talking to them? We've proven now that we can do it. But what about Spider-Man 3? What about both the amazing Spider-Mans? Are you forgetting that? Because that wasn't that long ago. So that, I think, does play into your, well, we learned our lesson, see what we did with Venom, see what we did with the Spider-Verse. But a live-action Tom Holland-led Spider-Man is a lot different than the animated crazy world I think of in the Spider-Verse, in my opinion. And Venom was an anti-hero movie that was a standalone that had nothing to do with Spider-Man. Right. So I think think they're missing the ballpark there, personally, if if that's their motivation. I I, I will say this. If it's not not their major motivation, somebody in a board meeting somewhere at Sony said, well, look, man, we made a hundred million on Venom, and look at how well Into Spider-Verse is doing. We can do this. You know, talking themselves up. Mm-hmm. But they risk, uh, you know, everything going to their heads and them making the same mistakes again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't see this ending very well for Sony or Marvel. You know, right. it makes me it makes me wonder, is this going to be the thing that makes Marvel have a chink in their armor? Because the one chink they've had in their armor so far was the Inhumans. And even that can be explained away with Feige not wanting him, but the what's the dude's name now that's no longer involved anymore. He still works for Disney, but not anything to do with it. He was a, a pusher, and they, they were so successful at making people forget that that was even anything. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's like, uh, yeah, you got away with it once. Are you going to be able to get away with it again? And there's a big difference between the Inhumans and Spider-Man as far as casual fans knowing who both of them are. Right. So now I can't help but think that there is going to be a deal. Now it might not happen for another year, you know, it, which would delay a lot of stuff. But I, my gut tells me that 
there's a few more chapters to this story before it's over. Oh, and, sure. You know, because really Spidey is the last remaining major property that Marvel has yet to regain. You know, they got back the Fantastic Four, they got back uh, X-Men and all that. So Spidey's really, really it. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I the, the problem with saying that, though, is I, I refer to Stan Lee on this one. Stan Lee has himself said openly that Spider-Man is the face of Marvel. Yeah. He is their Superman, their Batman. He is the, the most well-known, most uh, popular, and most well-received by non-comic book and known by non-comic book fans of any Marvel property. And that's not a disrespect to Wolverine or Deadpool or any of the other things they've had successes with recently, you know? It's just it is what it is. Spider Man, I mean, Spider Man is to the Marvel Universe, in my opinion, what Superman is to the DC. He's the most popular. He's the most well known. And he was the first big character they made that was a success. Right, uh, as I like to say, if you were to ask the average person on the street, name some superheroes. Spidey is going to be one of the first one. They might say Batman or Superman first, so you you could say he might be third. But even the people who might not know that there's a difference between Marvel Comics and DC Comics, that you know Superman and Batman are published by a different group than Spider-Man, they're probably still going to mention Spider-Man in one of their first three or four names. Exactly. And so I think, I think that's the issue. I think that Spider-Man is the face of the comic book, comp- the company itself. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, as you were as we were talking about the original deal with only five percent going to Marvel. Marvel was willing to take that little that little. Of, in my opinion, Marvel was understood how important Spider-Man was to the overall universe, how much the fans wanted him, and were willing to take such a huge cut in monetary gains just to get him back in the fold. You know. I, I really think that, like I said, they might have counted their chickens before they hatched, but they kind of said, look, we'll only take 5% because it's so important we get this character back. And then f- once that had been done, they started to write these scripts for the, the, these these other movies with the whole idea of we're going to make Spider-Man what he is in the comics, a major important – the face of the company. And we'll be able to down the road work out this deal where we get we – get, uh, reimbursed more proportionately for the character. And then it didn't work out the way they thought it was going to, you know, but right. I really think that, I mean, to me, if you think about, yeah, I understand 5% of the billion dollars these movies make is a lot of money, but it's a whole lot less than the 95% that, that Sony was getting, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, just think about that. Now, granted, I know it's Disney. They have a lot of money to, to make, you know, they, they they can afford to lose. They were willing to take that big of a, essentially a pay cut for lack of a better term, just to get the character back. What does that tell you? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and remember this, I think I told you this before a couple of weeks ago when this news first hit, if you look at how much they bought, uh, they, excuse me, pronouns, pal. <laughs> if you look at how much Disney bought Fox for to get all the other characters back, it was more, than what Sony made all year last year. I mean, if absolute worst comes to worst, they could just buy they could just buy Sony too. Right. <laughs> and and that's a scary thought. How much does Disney going to control of what we see in the movie and television, you know? Right. right. And I've even heard that th- there was a rumored amount that Sony was like it was it was a few billion, but 
I guess that that that's what it would take for Marvel to get the the, the rights back outright. I mean, I can't remember what the numbers were exactly, but it was it was like I think they bought Fox for seventy seven point six, mm-hmm. and in all last year, Sony made on all their films was seventy seven point three. So yeah, it's only three hundred million dollars more, but that's one movie versus. <laughs> how many? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, they bought one company. They bought one whole company for less than you, you know, for more than what you made all year last year. So, I mean, what, what, if you're you're not a betting man, but if you're a betting man, if it gets to the zero hour and it gets bad enough, could you see a scenario where that happens, where they they throw an offer out there to buy Sony? It would not surprise me. You know, there's even a meme going around from Avengers: Infinity War where it's Rocket and Winter Soldier. Uh, when it's a, the scene where Rocket says, uh, you know, how much for the gun or something like that. And how much for the says, arm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, but they change it to, hey, how much for Spider-Man? Not for sale. How much for your company? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes me think of the of the line Rocket says after that in the movie. Oh, I'm getting that arm. It's like, yeah, it's like oh, I'm getting your company. I'm getting Spider-Man. <laughs> you know? I mean, look, the House of Mouse has become an evil empire. I think we all agree on that. I mean, I just said, look, they were willing to take essentially only 5% of what they could make just to get the character back. They might just say to heck with it and just, just hey, here's an offer. Mm-hmm. We'll just take your whole damn company, you know? Right. It's not a bad investment. It's not like, like you said, Sony doesn't have other profitable franchises that they produce so because yeah, if they do buy sony that means they control james bond too you know yeah and like i said they already control pretty much every inch of geekdom except for dc and star trek you know right <laughs> and so basically they need and they don't own james bond so they buy sony and they get james bond and then how long do they buy warner brothers and paramount and there you go <laughs> then mm-hmm. they control everything geek involved and it's like we have to we have to like start praying to the almighty mouse every night <laughs> come on right wow all right well we're going to take a quick break here and we come back we'll dive into d23 uh, some star wars some marvel and uh, probably a few other things uh, to wrap things up so this is geekville radio and we will be right back are you looking for a gaming themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com, part of the Wrestling Brethren podcast family. Attention all time lords and ladies. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite time lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekvilleradio.com. All right, we are back. We're going to talk D23, Disney, and the Star Wars and Marvel news that came out of that. Because I know we talked uh, a couple weeks back on the show about Obi-Wan. I I had said that they probably were saving most of their Star Wars news for D23, and they were doing the Marvel stuff for Comic-Con, maybe because comics in the name, I I don't know. But 
Uh, either way, we did finally get some confirmation on Star Wars news. We got that confirmation we thought we were going to get about the Obi-Wan series. Now, really, there's not much that we know outside of that. I mean, the general premise that fans were expecting was it's probably going to take place between the prequels and the classic trilogy, and it was going to be about Obi-Wan on Tatooine. And they didn't announce that part of it, but I believe the number that they said was it was approximately eight years after Revenge of the Sith. So I don't think it's any accident that that would put it right about the same time of the Solo movie, because Alden Ehrenreich is contractually obligated to more Solo stuff. So what we might have gotten in any future Solo film might wind up being part of this series. So we might get the live-action clash between Obi-Wan and Darth Maul, and uh, you know Darth Maul is part of the uh, was a Crimson Dawn, and may- maybe Han's in there at-, at some point. I think the big thing, if they are going to do that, is, of course, they would have to keep Han and Obi-Wan from meeting, because otherwise that would make a bit of a plot hole for anybody watching A New Hope. Why, why, why you say that when Obi-Wan claimed he didn't know R2 and, and 3PO when he saw them on Tatooine? Yeah. But then again, there, there are those, those theorists who say, well, he was just, he was, he was trying to not blow his cover, which is why he acted like he didn't know him. Right. And, you know, who knows? We don't know how common of a model R2-D2 is. These are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's, um, I also think too, I, I got to thinking about this when I suggested maybe stories from younger in Obi-Wan's life, like maybe how did he meet, you know, Dax and all that stuff. Um, if you look at the age of where Ewan McGregor is now and understanding the age of Obi-Wan from the prequels to, you know, the, the, the surround Guinness portrayal and new hope. Eh, he's about the right age for that now. That's about mm-hmm. the same age. Because Ewan's about our age, mid to later 40s. That's about how old Obi-Wan would be in this time frame, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah, it would make sense because he was about 60 years old during A New Hope. So, yeah, that, that puts it almost exactly perfect there. Even though Sir Alec Guinness was, what, in his early 70s when he played the role? Uh, I, th- I think he was early I think he was early 60s. I mean, he was around oh, okay. 2000 when he passed, so. That's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. So maybe he just yeah. looked older than he was. You know, that's rough living out there in a, in a in a desert planet with two suns. Just saying. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. So one of the other anticipated bits of Star Wars news is we got the trailer for the Mandalorian. Now I I forgot to ask you this in prep. Did you see that trailer or no? Yeah, we've talked about it. You just don't remember okay. us talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we do actually do some prep work, believe it or not. We just don't come on and start recording and wing it. Well, sometimes right. we do, but most of the <laughs> right. time we actually talk. <laughs> right. And I'm assuming Ming-Na Wen only being announced now. Well, I mean, they're still making the series, but now that she's free and clear of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe that's why they waited until now to bring that up. Or maybe it's legitimately she's a fresh... Hiree. Now, right. there are a couple of things that I think people need to know is the Mandalorian. I mean, if it was going to be Boba Fett, the show would be called Boba Fett, not the Mandalorian. So it's not Boba right. Fett. Uh, Disney has already announced they're going to release it weekly, much like a regular TV series. So it's not a binge off the first release. You know, you're not going to be able to watch all the shows at once. But that said, you know, I enjoyed the trailer. I think we agree that Carl Weathers is a perfect cast for the leader of a bounty hunter guild 
And the Plus, other it's just thing... good to see Apollo Creed again, isn't it? Oh <laughs> Come yeah, on. It's yeah. Apollo. It's Apollo freaking Creed, dude. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. But the other thing that that I really marked out about in the trailer is now it's only like half a second long, but you see IG eighty eight in action, and that was like yep. that w- that was worth the wait for me alone. Right, right. And, and for those that are not as learned in Star Wars lore as we are, let it let, let me kind of explain what Seth's trying to say. If you see the if you see the trailer and you're not a big fan and you see the main character, the Mandalorian, you're gonna think it's Boba Fett because of the armor and the helmet he's wearing. Mm-hmm. The armor that Jango Fett has in the prequels that is later inherited by Boba Fett in the originals was a prototype Mandalorian designed armor. Mm-hmm. And that is why it looks like Boba Fett. Right. Um, it, it, of course, Django and then later Boba did a lot of upgrades and, and personalization to the armor. But the chest plate and the helmet are, you know, Mandaloria was one of the, I think we've discussed this before. It was a planet that was essentially like Switzerland in the sense that they stayed neutral in the mm-hmm. war between the Rebel Alliance and the Galactic Empire. And the, and the Galactic Empire did not mess with them because one of the things Mandalorian was really good at was building – was military. Right. The industrial military complex. They were really good at building ships, weapons, armor, and so they were willing to let them be neutral so they could buy stuff from them for their own army. And uh, that is also why there is a, a somewhat of a similarity between you know uh, star, Stormtrooper – armor and the armor from the you know the the, the clone army from the, the the prequels to also what you see Boba Fett and Jango Fett wearing. I just thought you know it's uh, you know the, if you see it and you're not that versed on lore as myself and Seth and a lot of our listeners that's why we say it's not Boba Fett. It would be Boba Fett if they would call it Boba Fett if it was going to be about Boba Fett. Right. Don't and, get confused people. <laughs> and and while it's not an exact look, you look at the way the clone troopers were in the prequels. Right. There's uh, right. well, uh, there's some similarities there. Like I said, just like the clone troopers, just like the mm-hmm. stormtrooper, which of course is a later model of the clone trooper armor. Mm-hmm. They're they're all Mandalorian, is what, what you know. Right. And then the other one you'll hear a lot, and I don't know if it's going to come up in this mini series or, or on the show, is the Karelian Empire, which is another one. Like they made really good ships. They are the ones right. that make the big star destroyers. Right. Uh, also stayed neutral. The Galactic Empire also left them alone because they were willing to let them be neutral so they could buy their ships from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, it, it's um, I will say this after watching the trailer. We had discussed when we've discussed the Mandalorian on here on the, on the podcast before that it was going to be a Western. Boy, am I wrong? Uh, am, am I wrong in saying that 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 trailer had a total Western feel to it? Oh, yeah. I, I was ha- almost halfway expecting to hear that little whistle riff in the <laughs> yeah the Sergio Leone good bad the other right. team <laughs> you know yeah or, yeah from from Inno, yeah I, I mean like it's like you could hire Inno Morricone to do the soundtrack to this and I think it would fit in just fine you know <laughs> right <laughs> it's, it, it, I was I was expecting at some point to see the swinging doors on the saloon and and to see the man with no mane walk in you know he would fit right in <laughs> you could just drop Clint Eastwood in the middle of this scene and he would not look out of place you know right. yeah and. I absolutely believe that somebody like Clint Eastwood was probably an inspiration for Boba Fett. And one other thing I, I'd like to add you know, about the Mandalorian armor is there's a pretty key story in the Clone Wars cartoon. It's when Obi-Wan meets back up with uh, Satine, who's the, the Duchess of, of Mandalore. And 
on a side note, not really related, but they get into a lot of arguments to the point where Anakin is putting it together like, uh, do you guys need a room? Uh, you know, <laughs> but the coolest part of that was Pre Vizsla, who ran Death Watch, which they were nothing less than a terrorist organization of Mandalorians. They wanted to be warlike. And he's voiced by Jon Favreau, and he also carries a black lightsaber. So you have a Mandalorian black with a lightsaber. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's truly evil. Uh, we, we'll have to do a whole episode on what a lightsaber and the different colors mean, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, David uh, but, Tennant can help you with that. Am, am I Very good point. Hey, am I wrong in saying that if they'd have made New Hope and say, 67 instead of 77, George Lucas probably would have tried to have cast Clint Eastwood as opposed to Harrison very, Ford? Very possible, like, yeah. A young Clint Eastwood would have been a good Harrison Ford. I mean, a good Han Solo, in my opinion. You know, but yeah. I digress. I, I'm looking forward to this. I got stoked about seeing IG-88. We had talked off off mic. Um, there's a very famous scene in Empire, and I'm sure many of our listeners know know this scene. Those that don't, go back and watch Empire. It's the famous no disintegration scene uh, mm -hmm. where Darth Vader has hired all the bounty hunters to, to track down Han, knowing that he's going to use Han as bait to get Luke. And it's it takes place on his on his star destroyer, and there's a a group of bounty hunters on this uh, that he's addressing, and Boba Fett is among them. That's the whole line, you know. I need him alive, no disintegrations. But IG88 is the robot, a uh, very tall, slender robot bounty hunter. He looks like a walking power drill. Yes, yes, and he for those who don't know, he is in he he is shown in action in this trailer. Uh, the one that I know the most about simply because they did like comics and other things and the novels was Dengar. And you mm. said you, you've heard he's supposed to be in this as well? I don't know for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, obviously, they'd have to recast the role. I know Simon Pegg voiced the character in Clone Wars, but mm -hmm. I totally would be cool with them having Dengar. It would not surprise me at all. Who were the other ones? There was IG-88, there was Dengar, there was uh, Bosk. Yeah, Forlom was the evil protocol droid. Zuckus was standing next to him. And there, there's a few others in there that we probably missed. Right. Yeah, yeah, Dengar, or uh, Bosk was the one that was very reptilian, 1950s sci-fi alien movie looking thing, right? Yes. A little like the creature, a little like the aliens from the old 80s miniseries and television show V is probably a good way to describe yeah, Bosk. Yeah, yeah, good, a good analogy. They're natural enemies of the Wookiees. And because I remember there was... A story where Ahsoka Tano, who's one of the central characters in Clone Wars, is – I think she like crashed on a jungle planet or something like that and finds mm -hmm. uh, Chewbacca. So I think this would have been before Chewbacca's uh, imprisonment at the hands of the Empire. But the last few minutes of the episode, kind of the, the climax, is Chewbacca against a few dozen Trandoshans and – I think you can guess how that, that goes. They probably should have brought more Trandoshans. <laughs> right, right. Is that the same as, as our last discussion about uh, uh, Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe against 90 <laughs> right. Cobra? Yeah. Um, it, it's, I, why, why I bring that up is if this is a show that we were openly being told is a Western, is about bounty hunters, would not be shocked if one or more of the bounty hunters you saw in that famous scene from The Empire show up in an episode or two. Would you agree with that? I actually welcome it and expect it, but you did trigger yeah, we a know, memory. We know IG we know IG eighty eight's one, so there's one down, six, seven more to go. So there you go. Right. Uh, but you did trigger a memory. I have this up on the Geekville Radio Facebook page. Now that this kind of loses something 
with the video being gone, but I'll link it in the show notes. This is Darth Vader talking to all those bounty hunters on the bridge of the executor here. That means no women, no alcohol, no drug. You will eat, sleep, and shit competition. As you wish. <laughs> Why was there nothing about any disintegrations in that? <laughs> right. But that that was that same exchange when he points to Boba Fett to say no disintegrations. That's when he talks about competition. No pooping. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, am I wrong in saying that's one of the most one of the most iconic scenes in all the movies? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of stuff about bounty hunters for the role playing games over the years that just simply titled that. It's funny to me. Um, as I'm a, I'm a diehard Star Wars fan, but I kind of poke fun at the really, really diehards like Seth over here <laughs> that that they build up those those characters that have a, a combined total of about 37 seconds of screen time is is, is the greatest characters in the entire trilogy. <laughs> or the entire, I'm like, yeah, I love Boba Fett and he looks really cool, but he goes out like a wimp and has what, six lines in two and a half movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think baby Boba Fett in Attack of the Clones had more lines than Boba Fett as an adult had in two other films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're right. <sighs> and how did they get a white British dude named Jeremy Bullock to be a young New Zealand? I, anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> I'll just give myself a headache if I start thinking about it too hard. <laughs> and we can't talk about D23 and Star Wars without bringing this up. I know I did the in-depth trailer look at uh, a show or two back, so we're not going to do that again. You can just go back to uh, one of the previous shows. They did show a trailer that were, or sizzle reel is probably the better thing to call it, but it had about a minute of new footage in there. Was there anything that you saw in there that uh, caught your eye? No, because the bulk of it, like you said, was three quarters of it was <laughs> scenes from everything we've already seen, from the originals, the prequels, and the previous two. And I'm like going, this is supposed to get me hyped. Um, you know, I I will say this, and okay, you know, let 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 the tweet the uh, ugly tweets and blog posts start already. Uh, it seemed like they took the least amount of footage from from the Last Jedi. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. they understand that was as divisive as it was, you know, um, only thing. And I, st- and I, and this has nothing to do with the trailer and I've not asked you your opinion on this. So this is as good a time as any to ask you, Seth, cause I think our listeners would be interested as well. Since you are such a star Wars expert, mm-hmm. how is a movie that has been openly pushed in this trailer and by the studio for over a year and a half now as the finale to the st- Skywalker saga entitled the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. That's something I thought about as well. Is that oxymoronic paradoxical? I don't know. (laughs) Right. And you brought that up at a a perfect time because I actually have two pretty big column, bold predictions. I didn't think of them at the time of watching the trailer in, in that last show. I think there's going to be two things that are revealed. First is that I personally believe Palpatine is a evil force ghost. I have thought for years that maybe if they had an evil force ghost, like they'd be tinged red instead of blue. So I think that is how they're going to work him in because there's evidence in past books and even in the current comics that there are some evil force users that somehow managed to become ghosts. So, That's how I think Palpatine works into it. The other one 
is with it being called The Rise of Skywalker. And I'm not the only one that thinks this, but looking back on what Lucas had done in the past with Rough Drafts, I think we're going to get Luke Skywalker back. And what I mean by that is not as a force ghost, like he will be restored to the real world. That's my other prediction. I may be wrong. I've been wrong before. I could be wrong again, but you know, that's, that's my uh, take. You, you sure Zack Snyder's not directing this thing? Cause that's a total <laughs> Christ allegory. And that's one of his favorite things to do. Yeah. I mean, if, is there more of a Jesus allegory than having your main hero be resurrected? <laughs> <laughs> that's the ultimate Christ allegory, but, um, that's a bold prediction. Um, I, I don't know about that. The idea of an evil force ghost, especially one that glows red as opposed to blue, Refer back to our, our – our, we'll, we'll discuss later what lightsabers mean for those that don't understand what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. And also – it also makes sense uh, in, in with the idea that we know from the prequels that's kind of the whole point of, of Palpatine, of Darth Sidious, is, is, is he was trying to figure out a way to overcome death. Right. You know? Are we both in agreement that Snoke is going to be completely just forgotten now? I am leaning to that myself. It is one of the issues I had with Last Jedi, and obviously we don't need to get into that. We talked at length about that when. But that what I'm saying is, is, is that you don't think there's. What I'm asking is, I should say, let me, let me, let me be more specific. Okay. Uh, it seemed like they were leading him to have a tie in some way or somehow to Palpatine or other evil Force users in the past, and right. what they did with him, he's just gone now. We're never going to get that connection now. Right. Uh, the the big issue I had with that, and I'll, I'll be brief, like I said before, is we don't know anything about Snoke's background because with Palpatine, we knew we were going to get three movies that explain that. And right. It, you know, not I'm not saying that Snoke has to be somebody from the past. You know, like oh, he's one of the Inquisitors from Clone Wars or something right. like that. Right. 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 But at least just show how he got to power. And it doesn't, you don't need very long. You can just summarize it, but it's just like nobody explains how he came to power. And now that he's right. dead, it's not going to mean anything anyway. I guess, and I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse because we've already talked about him at length. He is shown as a powerful force user and force sensitive, yet he could not sense that Kylo was doing what he did to kill him. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Discuss amongst yourselves. Right. <laughs> so. We'll wind up the D23 talk here because they did announce more Marvel stuff that will be airing on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if this was stuff that maybe hadn't been finalized during Comic-Con or maybe they were just holding it back for some of the Marvel fans. But we did get a, a announcement that Black Panther 2 is going to come because that was back when we were talking Marvel Phase 4 and what we think we're going to get. We right. figured we were going to get another one. It's it just hadn't been announced. Right. It, it'll be announced for May 2022, so a little under three years, and that would put it as Phase 3, I believe, uh, unless you know they, they change timelines. You mean Phase 4? You said Phase 3. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Phase 4. They, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the correction. Let me. <laughs> and the other news about the movies is Kit Harington, who's probably best known for being Jon Snow in... Game of Thrones, he is going to play Black Knight in Eternals. And I guess it fits, you know, a British guy to play a character that is so intertwined with British people. Do we we know which Black Knight this is? I don't know if we've gotten the name. I could double check on that. 
Because as I've brought up on past episodes, there's two real Black Knights. There's a hero Black Knight who is actually from Arthurian times. And then there's the August Augustine Duloc, who is a French villain, uh, one of the main villains of Black Panther. So maybe he's going to play that one and it'll tie into Black Panther too, possibly. Could be, yeah, because the whole gimmick with Eternals is it's supposed to tie into mythology in the first place. So that would, sure, that would make sense. Sure. Right. And, and and people forget Black Panther is mythologically based. It's just an African tribal mythology as opposed to Norse or whatever. Right. Now, we did get three more series announcements. We got uh, Miss Marvel, and it, they've also mentioned that she will be in some of the movies as well. We got Moon Knight, which if I recall correctly, we speculated on uh, maybe about a year or so back that Moon Knight would be perfect for an online series. We've and been we've been wanting that for two years. Probably, <laughs> we've been yeah, talking about that. And the most surprising one to me is She-Hulk. Now I welcome it because heck yeah, yeah, She-Hulk with the right writer is a great character. I am assuming they're probably going to CGI whoever plays her because I don't think there's going to be too many women six foot eight that are built like that that could act. But yeah, you know, stranger things may have happened. Uh, and this Miss Marvel, I'm assuming, is the Kamala Khan. Yes. It is her, and she is going to have her own show, and I think – I don't think they said exactly what movie she's going to be in, but she'll be one of those that's that's doing both. So we've talked about on multiple episodes in the past, uh, you know, there was a mixed response from the fans and the readers on the comic book side when Marvel chose to diversify a few years ago uh, with their characters. I do think that Kamala Khan version of Miss Marvel was one of the ones that pretty much everybody liked even the ones the detractors to the diversity. She was the first Islamic superhero. And uh, I think the way they write her character, at least my take from the comics is not that dissimilar to the way Stan and Kirby and Ditko and those guys did Spider-Man early in the day. She's a bright teenager who has this power thrust on her all of a sudden and deals with all the problems that normal teenager deals with. It's just because she is, she is an America, a Muslim American and a female. She has some different problems than Peter Parker as a white Christian male has, you know, but there's still typical teenage problems about finding yourself based on your gender, your, your, your religious beliefs, your, your everything. You know, we all deal with that as teenagers, don't we? You know, oh, we, yeah, and, yeah. and I thought I thought they did a really good job with that character. And I think she's one of those that the the art, the, the ardent detractors of the diversification of the Marvel Universe were not that down on her, you know, as opposed to there were some that myself included were not big fans of the Jane Foster Thor. There were some that were not. There are some that are not fans of Riri Williams as Ironheart. I actually like Riri Williams, you know, yeah, um, I do, too. Um, but I mean, she was one of those, I think nobody complained about. I was like, okay, this is cool. And I, part of that, I think softened that blow was by that point in the comic books, we had already seen Carol Danvers become Captain Marvel. So there was really nobody with the title of Miss Marvel, you know, mm-hmm. am I wrong in, in thinking that? No, no, I, I think, I think it's a good uh, summary. And obviously they now will have two characters named Marvel on the, the big screen with Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel. But they get along in, in the comics, too, so, you know, that's fine. Right. I mean, and she's – I would suggest if you want to read some newer comics, go read some Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. She has a, a very youthful exuberance to her, you know. If, if you liked that, that from Spider-Man, she's a good one for the newer stuff, in my opinion. I kind of equate it to 
ragman in the DC universe because his Jewish faith is like integral to his character. I yeah, mean, I mean, just... when you understand his powers and what the mm -hmm. rags are, yeah. I, they don't get very religious very often in comic books because, well, it's all, both DC and science fiction and, you know, at, you know, mythological char characters coming to life. But there are a few characters. That, those are two I could think of. Kamala Khan as, as a Muslim, Ragman as, as a Jewish man, and, and let's be honest, Matt Murdock as a Catholic. Their, their religious beliefs are, are, are integral to the characters, and stories have been written that are good about their, their religious beliefs. You know, mm -hmm. it, it reminds me of that meme you like to bring up all the time when, when religion becomes a thing in comics. Uh, that picture of Captain America seeing uh, Thor and said, yep, met a God, still a Christian. Tony seeing Thor, yep, met a God, still an atheist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. How religion usually is in comics, it doesn't really matter. But with those three characters, I think they've done a good job at incorporating their religious beliefs and the history of their religions into the character, and it makes sense. It's good storytelling. Yeah, agreed. Other bits of news for the series, we are going to get U.S. Agent. Now, he might not be called U.S. Agent, but it'd be the John Walker Captain America who took over for a while after Steve stepped away. And it wouldn't surprise me because they've... I've heard the rumors that part of the story in this is that people in the government or maybe, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever, it's like they, they don't want Falcon to be Captain America, which might be why U.S. agents brought in because. And what you know, was U.S. agents run in the comics? I want to say it was mid to late 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, 87, 88 ish, somewhere in there. So, yeah, I remember seeing him definitely there. Uh, he just he adopted the name U.S. agent after. Steve came back Steve and came, came back. Right. And this is not a concept I think is unfamiliar to the MCU. For those that don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a, for a while in the show was a Jason Omar character that was a patriot, which they explained away as, as S.H.I.E.L.D. and the government's attempt to recreate uh, the public symbol that Captain America was. Uh, because they thought Steve was dead. They didn't know he was just an ice block at the bottom of the North Atlantic. But <laughs> I digress. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, before, of course, uh, they found his body and dug it out. But anyway. Right. We also got the announcement. It kind of ties back to our first subject about Spidey, but there is going to be an animated kid show called Spidey and His Amazing Friends. And it just looks like a 21st century humorous update to the Spider-Man and his amazing friends from the early 80s that I'm sure we all watched at least one episode of. And that, of course, was the amazing friends were Bobby Drake, Iceman, and uh, what's her name? As, as uh, Oh, Fire, what is her name? Fire, Firestar. I forget the... Firestar. The, yeah. She's a ginger. I remember that. <laughs> right, right. And I can't remember if she was made for the cartoon or if she was in the comics at the time. But I think she's, I think she's a Harley Quinn, uh, John Diggle uh Batgirl kind of character where she was created for TV first and then became part of the and and well Colson too for that matter you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah they, Coulson's the Marvel example the other ones I gave were DC examples <laughs> um but um yeah I think that uh I mean I always thought she was a cool character as a kid and for what it's worth completely off topic there's one episode of that show uh where the chameleon has um I think it's six or seven heroes including Spider-Man come to this island and he traps them all. And I, th I think that might've been the first time I ever saw Namor an animated version. Oh, okay. Cause it was Namor, Dr. Strange, Firestorm, Iceman, Spidey. And I can't remember who the other one was. 
And it was weird because Chameleon's another one of those lesser known Spider-Man. When we talk about his rogues gallery, right? Right, right. I will check the show out just because I'm a fan of animation, but I'm fully expecting it to be kids oriented, kind of more like what Superhero Squad or something like that would be. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. You can check your brain in for 15, 20 minutes a week, right? Right, right. Now, the last thing I want to bring up, because I found out about this, I think, yesterday, uh, as of this recording, it had been talked about, but we got a visual confirmation of Supergirl and her new suit that she's going to wear in season five. And what I like about it is I'm one of those people that kind of wonders about the practicality of wearing a miniskirt into battle. And this one is a full-blown tights, you know, a, a body body length tights, you know, similar to like what Superman would would wear. And I actually welcome that upgrade because I just think it looks better than the than the miniskirt. I'm a leg man, so I'm all down for the miniskirt. I I, I was a I was a <laughs> fan of the Miss of the Miss Marvel leotard that she wore before she became Captain Marvel. So I, I have to disagree with you, but for, but I'm being honest about why. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I'm a leg man, and they showed all these are women that were drawn with very long, attractive legs. So. <laughs> the Mar I, um, I like the Miss Marvel Carol Danvers suit too. You know, the black one with that lightning bolt right, or whatever but, it was yeah 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 but like you said as far as combat wise it wasn't very uh practical but we're talking about people with the power set of supergirl miss marvel they could be naked and probably not get hurt in battle think about what their power set is oh yeah yeah absolutely so i mean am i wrong i, I think a kryptonian that's had enough yellow sun could can tank a, a nuclear warhead at, at like in the face can't they i'm pretty sure both of them have in the comics at one point or another so yeah, I mean, and with somebody like Wonder Woman, who basically wears that one-piece bathing suit look, although they gave her a battle dress to wear, which I like as well, when you're Wonder Woman, you don't have to worry about wearing armor. And, you know, Carter's right. probably the same. What's the, I love One of the greatest theme songs of all time is the old Linda Carter Wonder Woman mm -hmm. television show theme. In her satin tights, fighting for your rights. <laughs> yeah. I, lo I love the uh, that 70s kind of watch watt that was in oh, a yeah. lot of those pop songs. Yeah, that, 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 that real heavy on the T-Wah pedal on the guitar. <laughs> right. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Geekville Radio. Once again, you can find the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 453. Wow, you jumped ahead like two and a half years there, buddy. <laughs> right. And if you're listening to us for the first time, as I, keep, as I always like to say, you know, welcome. I hope you like what you heard. And... Give us a listen, give us a follow, give us a subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever fine podcasts can be found. And I like to read reviews. I am always looking for ways to better this show. And there's no serious suggestion that would not be considered. So let us know what you think on, on the geekvilleradio.com site. You can actually respond. Uh, if you have just about any type of social media it should work with Discuss, which is how we have conversations on, on the site there. So uh, enough blabbing about me uh, and Geekville Radio Train. If people want to get a hold of you and talk to you about Supergirl's legs, uh, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, I can always be found on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB. I also have a multitude of playlists on Spotify under the same. And since we've been talking about Kamala Khan and Kara and Miss Marvel and 
black cat and a lot of females I'm, i'll i'll suggest a wonderful new playlist i just created called chicks that rock it's got a lot of blondie and the go-go's and lead ford and the runaways and heart and i think you get the idea um right. i'll make sure that seth gets it and he'll put a link to that in the show notes as well right absolutely so we're going to wrap things up here at Geek Crew Radio. We'll be talking to you folks soon. I still have a show that I'm doing where I'm going to play some of the audio clips from the panels that I attended because there's some really good stuff in there. So that'll be the next show. And thank you folks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. By the way, with Into the Spider-Verse, it's been said that... It, if you, oh, sorry, I, just, I saw your text. Okay, take two. I'm just <laughs> make sure, just make sure you got it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, one of the things about Into the Spider Verse that is funny when pointed out is if you interpret the blonde-haired Spider-Man in the beginning as Tobey Maguire, and then the old Spider-Man that also comes in as R- Garfield, the entire movie like just feels different when you think it when you think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so...